Hi, this is episode 11 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part 2 of chapter 1 of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. When are you going? Jack asked. He was going to miss Uncle Parker. He got on well with him and could feel equal in his company. Next week, we thought, he replied. Mr. Bagthorpe rose. I must get back to work, he said witheringly, and went. I saw that competition, Mr. Parker, said Mrs. Fosdyke then. And, you know, I nearly went in myself. Worked a slogan out and all I did, and never got round to sending it off. What was the slogan? asked Rosie. Well, <laughs> Mrs. Fosdyke cleared her throat, stood up straight, and twitched her overall. Not very good. Not like Mr. Parker's. What I thought of was, Puffballs in fields is poisonous, but out of packets is delicious. There was a puzzled silence. Er, what exactly... William groped for an explanation without wishing to appear completely nonplussed. There's these things grow in fields, see, like mushrooms, explained Mrs. Fosdyke, quite pink with the interest she was creating. Look a bit like mushrooms, but if you was to eat them, they'd kill you. You'd die in agony, my ma used to tell me. Fact is, I look at every mushroom I cook, I do, to be on the safe side. So you see, I thought my slogan would be quite a good one, to let people know it wasn't that kind of puffball. Hmm, <laughs> yes. William tried to sound enthusiastic, but came nowhere near it. <laughs> I don't think that would have got you far, though. Too long, for one thing. And I don't think the breakfast cereal people would want the word poisonous in their adverts. <laughs> but they're not poisonous, cried Mrs. Fosdyke. That's the whole point. <laughs> anyway, it was a good try, Jack told her. I don't think I could have thought of that. Oh, well, she shrugged and turned back to the sink. I don't pretend to be clever. She began to rattle dishes, which she could do with the best. I'll go and do my violin practice, I think, Rosie said. William followed her, in a drifting kind of way, hands in his pockets. He had had this kind of look about him ever since the Danish au pair, Atlanta, had left the previous week. If his ears had been the drooping kind, like Zero's, they would have drooped. Left? Left, back to, to Denmark. Ah. I am glad, observed Uncle Parker, that I do not live in this house. Everybody is always doing something. Does nobody ever do nothing? I do, Jack told him, and Zero. Of course. Good for you. Not what they say, said Jack glumly. Sometimes I wish that being a prophet and phenomenon had come off, even if it would have been hard work. Rubbish, said Uncle Parker briskly. It would have made an old man of you. Where's Grandma? He wanted Grandma to know about his prize, because she had a very low estimate, uh, estimate of him. It had been very low indeed since the day, some five years previously, when he had run over Thomas, a cantankerous ginger Tom, who had, she declared, been the light of her life. He had been the light of no one else's, having been given to scratching, biting, and attacking from behind corners, and none of the other Bagthorpes held his extinction against Uncle Parker. Some of them actually thanked him for it. Uncle Parker had a secret admiration for Grandma, and wanted her good opinion, though he would never have admitted this. Grandma's sitting in the dining room, Jack told him. 
She's feeling low and talking about signs again. She's going on about her birthday portrait and all that. At Grandma's birthday party, the whole table had gone up in flames and burned out the dining room before the fire brigade got there. One of the first things to go up had been Rosie's birthday portrait of Grandma, and ever since, Grandma had taken this as a sign and thought it showed that the fates, in some indefinable way, had it in for her. Every now and then she would go and sit on her own in the devastated dining room and brood about this. "'I'll go and cheer her up,' said Uncle Parker. "'You'll only go and remind her of Thomas,' said Jack, "'and make her worse.' "'It's my belief,' remarked Mrs. Fosdyke, "'who put her spoke into the wheels of anyone's conversation "'if she felt like it, "'that Mrs. Bagthorpe Sr. is too drawn into herself.' "'Drawn into herself, you reckon?' said Uncle Parker. "'All that breathing, for one thing,' went on Mrs. Fosdyke, "'encouraged by the interest in her diagnosis. "'It's time she stopped breathing and went in for something else.' "'something that'd take her out of herself more. "'It occurred to Jack that if Grandma were to stop breathing, "'she would most certainly be taken out of herself permanently. "'He knew, however, that what was being alluded to "'was not the common or garden kind of breathing that keeps people alive, "'but the kind of breathing she had been doing daily "'since she had read one of Mrs. Bagthorpe's books about yoga. "'What sort of thing had you in mind, Mrs. Fosdyke?' asked Uncle Parker. Mrs. Fosdyke, hugely flattered by the unaccustomed interest being shown in her opinions, turned from the sink and wiped her hands on her pinafore. "'What I think,' she opined, with the gravity of a Harley Street man delivering a long-awaited diagnosis, "'is that Mrs. Bagthorpe Sr. should take up bingo.' <laughs> "'Bingo, by Jove!' Uncle Parker was not easily put off balance, but he was now. "'Should what?' "'said Jack incredulously. "'Grandma was a notorious cheat "'at anything from Scrabble to Ludo. "'Cheat?' "'Cheat. She cheats at games. Ah. "'To win. "'Sometimes at the end of a game of dominoes, for instance, "'she would say that a domino had, with five pips on it "'had six on it, or even three, "'and would play it accordingly. "'She also, at snakes and ladders, "'moved her counter up snakes and ladders alike "'and never came down anything.' At Monopoly, if she saw funds were getting low, she would declare that the bank had forgotten to pay her two hundred pounds for passing go on the last five rounds, and would snatch two five-hundred-pound notes out of the bank before anyone could stop her. She got away with it by being so old and obstinate, and by being able to keep up an argument longer than anyone else. Mostly, when the Bagthorpes wanted to play games, they went into quiet corners to do it out of her way. Mrs. Fosdyke had been with the Bagthorpes long enough to know about Grandma's cheating, but was clearly not unduly perturbed. "'She won't be allowed to cheat,' she said, shaking her head. "'It's not allowed.' "'She will,' said Jack. "'I bet she would.' "'Mrs. Fosdyke cheats?' "'No, Grandma cheats. Ah. "'Mrs. Fosdyke suggests that Grandma should play bingo.' Uh. "'Can't.' Mrs. Fosdyke shook her head firmly. "'They check up, see?' "'What's that mean?' She'd tell them they checked up wrong, Jack said. They checked to make sure the people who win actually won. You can't argue, said Mrs. Fosdyke. There's no arguing allowed. They're ever so strict. I think that Grandma would like bingo, said Uncle Parker. You're absolutely right, Mrs. Fosdyke. Spot on. The very thing. I can take her along with me. Mrs. Fosdyke was enchanted. 
There's ever such big prizes. There's money, of course, and then there's dinner services and blankets and non-sticks and all sorts. Non-sticks. Non-stick pans. My sister at Pinkston won the jackpot two weeks back on the day when they have a link up over the telephone, and she won four hundred pound. Crikey! Jack was impressed. I wouldn't mind a go, though I'm not much good at numbers. Oh, you don't have to be that, Mrs. Fosdick assured him. There's no skill, no adding up or anything, but it does take you out of yourself, see, and that's why I thought it'd be the very thing for Mrs. Bagthorpe Sr. I shall go and tell her this minute, announced Uncle Parker. A million thanks, Mrs. Fosdyke. An inspired thought. Mrs. Fosdyke glowed. Come on, Zero, said Jack, and followed Uncle Parker. Grandma was sitting on one of the new chairs that had been bought following the fire, contemplating the scene before her. The builders had been in and done some replastering and replaced some burned-up window frames and floorboards, but the room still looked like something out of an Alfred Hitchcock film. What's an Alfred Hitchcock? He's a director who made movies. Everywhere was blacked up and charred-looking, and tatters of curtains still dangled from the buckled brass poles. Grandma looked as if she were reliving her birthday party in all its awful detail. <clears throat> Hello, Grandma, said Uncle Parker cheerily. Nice day. She did not move her gaze. I know you by your voice, she said. You ran over Thomas, that shining jewel of a cat. You cut him off in his glorious prime. Sorry about that, Grandma. <clears throat> Uncle Parker apologized for at least the hundredth time. I'd offer to get you another, but I know he was irreplaceable. <laughs> he was irreplaceable, said Grandma mournfully. No cat could equal him for beauty, grace, and gentleness. This was a statement that needed challenging. Thomas had been ill-favored to a degree, had spat, bit, and scratched, and inspired hate and terror in all who knew him. It was lucky that Mr. Bagthorpe was not there to point all this out. "'I think a lot about reincarnation these days,' she went on to herself. "'I like to think who I would like to be reincarnated as. I can't decide.' What's that I, mean? "'I am bound to say I would prefer not to be a Bagthorpe again.' I should like to think I would be promoted to a higher plane. Got a bit of a treat for you, Grandma, said Uncle Parker, beavering away at the cheerfulness. Life is but a dream, remarked Grandma vaguely. Like as the waves make to the pebbled shore, so do our moments hasten to their ends. Uncle Parker was clearly batting on a sticky wicket. Heard about my prize, Grandma, he asked. What prize, said Grandma, "'When you get old, you don't get prizes.' "'Ah!' Uncle Parker was triumphant. "'But you do. "'There's a way you could win prizes the whole time.' "'When I was a little child, "'I once won a bag of macaroons at a party,' "'said Grandma wistfully. "'Those days will never come again.' "'They will, Grandma,' said Jack. "'Honestly, that's what he's trying to tell you.' "'I love macaroons,' she said. She seemed marginally to be coming back from wherever she had been. "'What would you say?' asked Uncle Parker. "'To a blanket, or some non-sticks, whatever they are, or a dinner service. What would you say to four hundred pounds?' Four hundred pounds? Where?' She was with them now, all right. "'Yours for the winning,' Uncle Parker told her with sublime confidence. "'All you do, you play a game.' "'Oh!' 
I like playing games, Grandma said. I always win at games. Uncle Parker and Jack exchanged glances. Grandma was evidently right back on the ball again now because she said, I have a natural aptitude for games. You certainly have a natural aptitude for winning them, conceded Uncle Parker, one way or another. I'm bound to say none of us are any match for you. This game would be a new challenge, though, Grandma, said Jack. This was a guileful statement. Grandma rarely could resist a challenge. Whatever it is, she replied, I, ex I shall expect to win. That's the spirit, Grandma, Uncle Parker told her. So you're on, then. Bingo tonight, is it? Bingo, repeated Grandma. Is that a game? Why do the Parkinsons call their dog after a game? I thought it was a name for a dog. Because it's a good game, Uncle Parker told her. You'll find out. And by the way, I might as well just mention it. I've just won a cruise for two in the Caribbean. I won it writing a slogan for sugar-coated puffballs. Grandma favored him with a long stare. If it were not for you, she said at length, that beautiful, shining Thomas would at this moment be crooning in my lap. I doubt it. The rain rains on the just and the unjust. Jack, while himself thinking very little of Uncle Parker's winning slogan, nonetheless felt he deserved better than this. It was a national competition, he told her. The odds against winning were hundreds of thousands to one. It was pretty good going. Grandma rose. She reached the door and turned back. Do not quote statistics at me, she said. The odds against Thomas being killed in his prime, in the drive of his own home, were hundreds of thousands to one. He, she pointed it straight at Uncle Parker, was the fly in the statistics. She swept out of the charred dining room, having had, as always, the last word. And that is the end of Chapter One of Absolute Zero. See you next time.